0: Welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Well, good morning again. My name is Tim. I'm the senior pastor here at the church, and indeed, we are launching this this week. Small groups begin uh, this week, discussing. This is uh, you have a DVD and you have a guidebook that you can work through. Again, it's not too late. If you want to lead one, if you want to host one in your home, maybe on the job at, during break or something like that, wherever you can and you want to get this, please see Jay out in the lobby or if you want to join a small group. I, uh, I just encourage you to make the journey because it, it will be worth it. And uh, at the end of these six weeks, we'll take the uh, eighth week, since we did a little bit of a primer last week, we'll take the eighth week to celebrate over what we've learned and what we're applying to our lives uh, as we finish it up in a couple of months. Uh, Surprised by hope. Let me ask you this. Why did you, if you are a follower of Jesus, why did you become a Christian? Why did why did you, why, I mean, is it something you grew up with? with Is it like, well, somebody told me that I was in real trouble. And uh, and this guy, Jesus said, you know, he will get you out of trouble if uh, you will just believe in him. And so you won't have to worry about that, you know, other place, that other bad place. Was that what you were told? Or maybe you were like, okay, let's see. Heaven, hell, hmm. And I don't know what you—I don't know what you were told. I don't know what uh, someone shared with you. I know when it first happened with me, and uh, it was like the lights went on. It wasn't out of fear. That um, honestly, that I decided that that moment with the grace of God to be able to to follow through. It wasn't out of being scared of hell. It wasn't out of—I uh, didn't even know what heaven was. It was just like the lights went on. It was—it made sense to me. And and that may sound a little odd, but things have to make sense to me, at least some way. Or I can't really wrap my arms around it. Or I don't mind struggling, but there has to be some semblance of of intellectual truth involved in it somehow. And once it was explained to me and I understood the, the problems, I embraced that, and then God began his work. All of us come to Christ, it and, and all of these maybe are a part of it. I mean, you want your sins forgiven, and probably that would have been enough for me at the time. You know, if I could just be forgiven for all the mess-ups and the screw-ups that I had made, that's, of course, wonderful, and that is a part of it. And the other part is, you know, who wants to go to hell? Um, <laughs> not too many people. And, uh, but wanting to go to heaven was not on my radar, because I didn't know what that meant. And so, um, you know, maybe you did and you just, you have a great concept of heaven. What we're going to look at in this series, exactly how much does the scripture tell us about what is called heaven? And, uh, and so maybe that's your idea of being saved. But listen to these words in Romans fifteen thirteen. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him, trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Now that I like. That part of life and that part that there is more than just that moment in time. Don't give me wrong. Having your sins forgiven is great. But we stop right there. A lot of us stopped there 30 years ago. We stopped in that moment. And we thought that's what they told me this was about. And that's wonderful because I got a lot of sins to be forgiven of. And that's true too. All of us do. And that's wonderful. But is that it? This hope that Paul's talking about in, in this passage in Romans seems to just, it gets larger and larger as we've had our sins forgiven, but suddenly this expectation of good enters our life and there is more to it than we ever imagined. What What is that? Well, we're taking a look today at hope for the world, and that is our part, our peace, ...of that hope in the world. And we're going to be launching out this morning in Genesis, the first chapter, over in the 26th through the 28th verse. If you take your hand out, flip it over, there is a fill-in on the backside. That scripture is on the back side, and it's going to be up on the screens as well. And so uh, I'm going to read it, pray, and we'll jump into this for the next few minutes. Let's put it up there. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Father, bless your word today. Breathe life on it. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. You're the teacher. You said you would come and teach us all things, and we pray that you would come and do that right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, your first fill-in is, is this, right straight out of this text, and that is that you were made in God's image. You were made in God's image. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, our likeness. That was the original mission of God for you, for me, for his creation, for his humankind, for uh, the people who are on this earth and have been on this earth for so long. We are image bearers. It doesn't mean we are God. But we're image bearers. We have imprinted in us an image of our creator deep within us. There's a wonderful vocation that goes along with that imprinting. And that is what we read about in Genesis 1 that we were originally created for. And we were meant to manage it. This image propels us and compels us. And there's this sense of purpose involved in this and that we were sent to manage what he created. That God sent us here to do that. And, uh, you know, if, you, if you're new to church and you're struggling through whether this thing makes sense or not, or, uh, you know, you get to first, second, third chapters of Genesis, and some people really wrestle with this. Was there a real Adam and Eve or not? Was there a real garden of Eden? L- listen, we can talk about that another time. Here's the deal. I'll bet you, deep inside of you, you have a sense of purpose. Somehow, deep inside of you, you're not sure where it comes from but there's this part of you and it sometimes it depresses you because you feel like I was made for more than this and there's a pulling a pushing and and you go where did that come from? Well, it's the image of God that was imprinted in you long ago that has this dissatisfaction of having been called to a vocation to a calling which is what vocation means, a calling. And that calling can be in any aspect of life that you're serving as long as it's managing what God created. You getting this? This goes way beyond being saved from our failures and being also not just saved from our failures and our lapses, moral lapses, and all of these, our screw-ups and all of that. But it's being saved to something. Because... Some of us, we walk out of church after we have been saved from something and we go, now what? Now what? What's the purpose in all of this? If I'm put in right relationship with God now, where do I go from here? And that's what this series is all about is to kind of peel the onion back and let you see the heart of God for his creation for us. And so... You were created for that. Uh, I believe at times, however you struggle with some of the theology, and again, we can talk about this another time, but you do have this sense of, we want to call it calling, even on your job when you're working sometimes. There are things on your job when you create, when you pull off something that makes you so happy, and you smile and you go, this is, I know I'm made for this. Or if you're retired and you're in your neighborhood and you're serving someone or you're out and about or maybe you're at your homeowners association meeting and you're helping someone and you do something that just brightens you up. There is something that happens inside of you and you go, I got a taste of something just then. I don't know what it was, but it did something for me. I really believe that's that imprinting. That's that original vocation and that calling that God put in us so long ago to come along and manage what he created. And suddenly you find yourself doing that, and it comes as Scripture in Romans, you know, the joy that floods us and the peace that comes to our life, and we go, oh, get it now. There is a purpose for my life. There is something greater. And, you know, a lot of us don't want to admit, because if you talk to your friends, don't want to admit that we feel like we're called to a maybe a purpose or something. It sounds a little egotistical, doesn't it? And I mean, the churches walk back and forth across this line, too. You know, there's one side of it that goes like, I'm a dirty, rotten sinner, just a worm. You know, and Jesus is all righteousness, and he is beautiful. He's perfect, absolutely, positively true. Everything that we aren't, but at the same time, we were originally God's idea. You were God's idea. He imprinted deep within you his own image. And so on this other side is this part that God says to us that, hey, yeah, you're, you're created. I made you and all, but I made you for purpose. I didn't just cast you down to earth for you to mess up and then for me to say I'm going to save you and then let you go back to your screwed up life. That's not what he, and that's not what, that wasn't his intent. His intent was for us to find the purpose, to participate in the vocation to come alongside what he is doing in the world that he created, and the world that he loves and he still loves, and the world that one day he will put the total rights and everything will be just right. And in the meantime, between the already and the not yet, we get to participate with him in whatever is going on to see his kingdom come. I'll bet you, wherever you are in your work with God, there's something deep inside of you that that resonates with. There's something, there's a a part of you that goes, I was made for more than I'm experiencing. We were to be as image bearers in the world that he created. We were to reflect his love for his creation. I mean, look at that, animals, the environment, care for one another, work, a vocation of meaning that fed the satisfaction of responding to God's call to that deep part of your life here. Uh, Nobody will remember this name, but I'm going to say it anyway. Barry McGuire, who was a wonderful Christian, he wrote "Eve of Destruction." If any of you remember that depressing song back in the '60s, which we all thought we were on the eve of destruction then, and uh, but Barry became a wonderful Christian. Man, wrote tons of great Christian music, ended up with YWAM for the rest of his life in Australia and served the Lord and just a wonderful guy. But, but uh, when Barry was touring the world, I heard him in concert one time and they always ask you to put your profession down. And Barry would always write Reflector. And when he would go through customs and all of this, you know, going to, he said, "Reflector." He says, yeah, I'm here to reflect the love of God. How's it going? You see it? You know, he would begin to share <laughs> Jesus with them. He said, that's my job. I'm a reflector. And, uh, and that is part of our calling creation is to reflect. Now, we're not the creator, but we are to reflect the love of the creator in his creation. And to care for it and to love it. That is a part of something that I know deep inside of us we all have a sense of, that we feel a call to do more than we're doing. And, you know, this is God's call, and because it is God's call, it makes sense that we need to stay closely connected with the Creator if we're going to do this. If we're going to be successful at this, we need to be connected to the Creator. you know, you don't walk into a garden. How many of you guys have gardens in the spring and you yeah, some of you do. Well, you don't you don't plant a beautiful garden and then you go into it like a tyrant. You know? And you just squash every part of the living daylights out of the whole garden and you stomp through your rows, and you treat it haphazardly. No, you tenderly care for it. You walk in the right places so you don't walk on the ridges. You step across them. You pull the weeds out. You do everything you can to see that that garden is beautiful. And you care for it and you tend it. You tend it. Now, you see, we've had, we had a problem. By the time you get to Genesis 3, it's obvious we got a problem. Because we have tyrannized the garden. We have stomped it. We have messed with relationships, all of it. It is in a mess, and that's why God, from the very foundation, knew that it was going to have to be dealt with, and he sent his own son to put things right with us so that we could be put back right again with our original calling to come and care for what he sent us to care for, this earth and all that it contains, one another This. It's more than just one thing. Do you get this? You go back to the beginning, you look at it. I mentioned last week, Jesus, you know, Mary Magdalene coming out of the grave, looking into the empty grave, turns around and sees a man. And it says in John's gospel that she thought he was a gardener. It was Jesus. He is a gardener. And he's putting back to rights environment the way it should be. He's putting back in the hearts of those who love him. Attending, a managing. And I'm not just talking environmentally, though I am talking about that as well. I'm talking about the entire atmosphere and environmental part of it, relationally with people, all of the garden that was there originally. But we had a problem. We've stomped it. We've messed with it. You know, it's bad. And now we're in between that stage when Jesus has come to put us to rights with God and he will come back one day and he's left us here and given us assignment to be his image bearers. And it's covered up. And if you haven't responded to Christ yet, if you haven't responded, you see it's still there because you feel it. You feel like there's purpose, but you haven't been liberated. You haven't been liberated to be able to act on it fully. Because as that Roman passage says, it comes through the power of the Holy Spirit where that hope flows. And that comes through Christ. Us receiving Him. Us surrendering our life to Him and saying, okay, you, Lord... You're you're the true image of God. You know, now come into my life and clear off this Imago day, the image of God in my heart. Liberate, free me to be able to do what you've called me to do in this earth. That purpose, that sense of purpose that I have. In Ephesians 4.24, we read these words, To be made new in the attitude of your minds. That's what I'm hoping is going on here today. And to put on the new self. Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Put on that new attitude. To be made new in the attitude. And made new in the new self. And that puts us back in the right place for the image of God. As image bearers. To be able to reflect his love for this place that we live in. To one another. And also to the world itself. That is our pleasure. That is our call. We live in Myrtle Beach. I mean, you know, the minute my toes step in the Atlantic Ocean, I get the... (laughs) I mean, the minute the, the wet sand hits my toes, I look around and I can see the Lord just speaking it all. Like, God, this was all your plan. Every bit of this. Pick up the water and look through your fingers and feel it and feel the beauty of it. And in the springtime, you smell those flowers up and down the beach and the warmth of the sun. And you look around and you go, this is a beautiful place. It's been tainted and it's been bruised and broken and terrorized in many ways. But God, your initial plan and your final plan is a good one for this earth. And you have put me here with your beautiful people you have created. And those that are far from you, Lord, to see this earth recaptured back and manage it well. So you carry the image of God. Colossians 1.15 says, The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. Firstborn, and here we come after Him. But He is the image, and that's why when we, if you have not started your journey with Jesus, that's why this morning you want to do that. Because you need the pure image of God in your heart and in your life, and that is Jesus. Jesus. And he will help you begin to live and to be able, as a matter of fact, it's the only way you're going to be able to live and to be able to walk that image of God in your life out in the way it was meant to be. And uh, John 14, 9 says, don't you know, he's talking to Philip, and Philip is, you know, questioning Jesus a bit. And he says, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you for so long a time, anyone who has seen the Father who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? In other words, how can you say, well, if God's real, show him to me? How can you say that when Jesus has been here? That's what Jesus is saying. So I don't see God. Look at Jesus. There he is. That's exactly what he said to one of his best friends, Philip. How can you ask this, Philip? You've been with me so long and you're still asking Where's the Father? You've seen me, you've seen the Father. We're the same. Here we are. I'm the Son, the Father, we're one, we're together. And so there He is. You want to see what God thinks of you? Read the Gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read those, read them, and see what Jesus did. That's God. There He is. Is love for humanity. There was a lady named Elizabeth Fry who lived in England back in 1780 to about uh, 1845. There she is. She looks like a kind soul. Uh, Elizabeth was, uh, at the age of 18, she rededicated her life to Christ and uh, she was a Quaker. And she began to pray, she says, How can I serve? How can I serve the people in my town? She married a very wealthy banker. And uh, one day, I guess she was in her 20s, one day a friend invited her to go to Newgate Prison, said, I want you to come and see something with me. Newgate Prison was uh, a notorious place uh, for criminals, but not just for criminals, but for women. And what they would do at Newgate Prison is they would arrest women, throw them in the same cells many times with the men. And there would be murderers in there as well as mothers with young children who have, who had stolen apples just to be able to feed their kids. But they were thrown into the same cells. As you can imagine, uh, back during this time, it was not a pretty place. Everything went on in one cell area. I won't say any more, but it was it was horrendous and when Elizabeth saw it and she saw these mothers and she saw these women who were being some of them DTing off of alcohol and and others who had just simply stolen an apple but had their one-year-old sitting by them having to be in the same cell she was rattled and shaken she went back home she grabbed some blankets and clothes and some food and she came right back to Newgate she began handing them out to the women and she started a program of seeing that all the women not only got fed and and got clothes, but they began to be taught the Bible. She read the Bible to them, and she said it was her endeavor that they would come out with better character than they went in, whoever they were. She loved them so much that she would go to court with them to try to stand if they got the death penalty, and if she could not get them off from the death penalty, she stood on the gallows with them, praying with them right to the last moment. This woman was committed committed to change, committed to showing people that God cared about them. Uh, It didn't stop there. In the winter of 1819, she stumbled across a frozen little boy in the street. And again, it shook her. So she went, and what did she do? She started a homeless ministry for the children so that somebody could care for the 10-year-olds and the 8-year-olds and the 12-year-olds that lived on the street. She didn't stop there. She was also high up in society, so she was floating around, and you can imagine, to her friends. And so she would challenge her friends, how about come and spend the night in the prison with me? <laughs> Which she had done. And sure enough, a few of them took her up, and they went in, they locked the gates, locked the doors behind her, and she spent, they spent the night in the prison so they could see what it was like. And she started two huge associations to care for women in the prisons. As a matter of fact, A convict ship, any convict ship that pulled up to her port during her lifetime, she did not miss one ship without her going on to it and giving clothes and blankets and food to those women. Not one docked in her area that she didn't care for. Um, She was quite a lady. Her husband actually went bankrupt. And her money ran out, and her brother saw what she was doing. Her brother was wealthy too. He stepped in and financed the rest of it, along with the rest of her life, along with uh, some other friends during that period of time. She had 11 children herself. No excuses, right? <laughs> you have a woman in the late 1700s with 11 children, right? 11 children. And she's caring, you know, because of what she saw of the image of God, that the garden had been trampled, that the garden was not like it should look and that she wanted to see it, brought back to its splendor, brought back to its beauty, back to caring. Elizabeth Fry was, there were not too many women in the late 1700s, 1800s. She was the first woman to go before, it wasn't Parliament, but it was her area of England where she appealed to all the political leaders. The first woman to ever go before and appeal to them. This mother of 11. In 1840, at 60 years of age... At 60 years of age, she started a nursing program. Her program, uh, I can't remember the whole name of it now, but it inspired a certain individual I'm sure you've heard of. Who's the most famous nurse who ever lived? Florence Nightingale, that's right. She was the benefactor of Elizabeth's hard work as well because she started a nursing school of which Florence Nightingale became a part of and was an advocate for This mother of 11 took what she had and what she saw and she made the most of what she had with what she had where she was. And that's all God ever expects us to do. To do the most with what we have with where we are. And that's exactly what she did. We are a reflector. Number two, I love stories like this. Uh, Number two, you were made to rule. Now that sounds like a contradiction. We're talking about... You were made to rule or to reign, maybe your, your uh, translation says. You rule and reign. And he's, you know, God says it up front. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? So that they can rule. So that they can subdue the earth. Well, you see, here again is the tyrannizing of that term. Is That, that term, ruling and reigning, has been hijacked in our world. Jesus comes along and says what? The way up is down. The greatest you could ever do is be a servant to another person, to serve that person, to love that person, to put someone ahead of yourself, before yourself, and to care for another individual. Because the word rule and reign is simply to manage what God has given you, to make more of what he has given you for his sake, to be a blessing to the world. You were meant to rule and reign in that, and you feel that too. I know you do. You're just too humble to admit it. You know, I got such a humble church. Yeah, Yeah, I was meant to rule, you know. That's me, you know. But but see, our sense of ruling and reigning is, is not a tyrant. It's that of giving the way Jesus set the example for us. And in that is the power of grace and the power of love, just like Elizabeth we saw in her life. She moved forward in that grace and in that mercy. And she ruled and reigned in that place that God called her to. Her mission statement was this. I think we've got it on. Do we have it up on the screen? Elizabeth, look at this. To provide for the clothing, instruction, and employment of the women, to introduce them to a knowledge of the Holy Scriptures, and to form in them as much as possible those habits of sobriety, order, and industry, which may render them docile and peaceable while in prison and respectable when they leave it. Boy, did she do it too. She poured her life out. That looks to me like tending the garden well right there. That's like, let me get back to creating and to coming alongside those who bear the image of God and seeing that they bear it well. Eden was a project. It wasn't just a location. In the beginning, Eden was a project given to mankind to manage. It is still given to mankind to manage. It is given to his church to come and be the salt that Jesus talked about. To come and be the light that Jesus talked about. To come and be the city on a hill where there is a continuous ray of hope for everyone here. That is still our call. The call has not changed. It's just that now we have the resources through the power of the Holy Spirit and submitting to him to be able to start back where we left off. And yeah, We've got a lot to push up against. But you know what? That's okay. That's our joy. That is our hope, to be called to this this vocation. And I love that word, vocation. Because it's not... All of life is ministry. All of it is. Every part of it. Wherever you are, there is vocation. There is calling. Wherever you are. Right where you are. Each person, Psalms 8, 3 through 9, listen to this and see if this doesn't uh, make you feel the same. This is almost uh, just another version of that Genesis passage. When I consider your heavens, David says, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds of the sea and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When we carry out our vocation, it gives praise to God. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth through how we care for that which God has made. Some of us don't go much further because we feel like maybe we failed. Because in our culture, whatever we try to do, the the definition for success is what? Not failure, right? It's like you can't succeed and fail at the same time. But that's not God's definition. God's definition of success is stewardship. What do you do with what God has given you? Where you are right now. I would rather fail... 10, 15 times trying to do the best I could with what God gave me right now than to sit back and be so careful and so cautious that I didn't do anything because I was afraid to be a failure. You get this? We don't do anything. Elizabeth Fry, when she was a young lady, do you think there was some trepidation or, I mean, going into those prisons? I've been into the prison, not as a prisoner, but I've been in the, I've, I've been into, you know, I've been into Columbia Correctional Institute. I've preached there. I've met with them these first 10 years of my Christian life. I met with all, I met with death row people. I worked the jails here in Horry County because I wasn't going to church. I would not that was my church. And I saw in their eyes, I saw what the hurt and the pain. I heard their stories. I heard things like that. You know what, that is a part of recapturing and taking back, you know, seeing their souls as something worthy, seeing a trampled soul, doing the best that we can. Did I fail at times? Absolutely. I mean, I went into cells I shouldn't have been in. I, you know spent too much time when they locked me in and I couldn't get out, you know, that kind of thing and uh, one time they called me and there were 35 girls in this one cell that was a mistake, I should have never (laughs) gone in there and it was on Easter weekend and uh, you you know, you make mistakes but your heart's in the right place and so you do things, you know, you go and you do what you can and then you gather it up and you go, okay, I learned from this one you know what God, but I'm going to step back in, I am not going to be put off because God's Idea of success is stewarding what he has given you. What has he given you? What do you have right now in your hands, in your life, right now that he can use to bless this world with? Right now, this moment. Your last feeling is this, and that is you were made to be a blessing to the world. You were made to be a blessing to the world. guy named Taylor came across the George Washington Bridge, headed into New York, asking God to give him a specific part of New York to pray over. As he headed over the bridge and downtown, he, he had intentions of heading towards Harlem to pray. And he started to stop and God said, not yet, don't stop, don't stop yet, go a little further. Ninety minutes later, Taylor said he just prayed this God if you can just show me one person that I can share you with I'll be happy tonight I've been driving a lot longer than I planned and he saw a guy standing and so he pulls over and he gets out and he walks over to a guy named Michael and he looks him in the eye and he says do you like your life and Michael responds with no I hate my life I've messed it all up and Taylor goes do you know Jesus and he says yeah I know Jesus I carry him around my neck all the time and he pulls a cross out And Taylor goes, Carrying Jesus around your neck is not going to get it done. You need him in your heart. Have you ever been to church? And he says, You know, I was downtown in Manhattan one night, and this old dude came up to me, and they started talking to me, and he invited me to church. And Taylor goes, Do you remember his name? And he goes, Yeah, Wilkerson, David Wilkerson, Times Square Church. That was it. That was it. Taylor kind of laughed. He says, I went to the church, uh, Michael said. I went to the church, and you know what? He was the pastor there. That's how I found out. He was preaching. And <laughs> Taylor laughed, and he says, Michael, David Wilkerson was my great uncle. My name is Taylor David Wilkerson, and God has sent me to you to tell you that it's not too late for you. You still have an opportunity to discover what God has for you and for your life to change. Go a little further not stop until you find the place where God wants you to love this earth the way he loved it and gave his life for it. Those situations are waiting for you right out of those doors and you're about to head out of them in just a moment. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of so many. Thank you to all of us in here today. You have allowed Your grace and mercy to capture us one way or the other you brought us here Lord you allowed us to to be here for those of us who have responded to that and began our journey with you and still follow you and still trying to get it figured out but embraced you and want to let your image Lord shine brighter through us we surrender anew to you we are meant to be a blessing to this world We are image bearers. And Lord, you have sent us to rule and reign as your servants, as your gardeners. And Lord, you so love the world that you gave your only son, your only begotten son. And you have invited us to walk with you with that great news. And to serve this environment, to serve this community, to serve our friends, our family, our work, wherever we are, with that intention. Give us new eyes to see. And Lord, I pray today, and I would ask as we're praying, maybe this is your time like Michael's time, like my time was back on May 1st in 1971 when a friend told me about Jesus. Maybe this is your time when you intentionally respond and you go, okay. Okay. I feel that, Tim. I know it. I know I'm made for more. I'm ready to discover what it means, where I am with what I have to make a difference. Would you slip your hand up? I just want I want to pray for you. Just let me know. That's me. I want to begin that journey today with Christ. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to pray for just a moment. And I am going to pray for you to suddenly see a face of someone that you might reflect the love and the goodness of God to. And then when you see that face, I want you to let me know by, by just maybe waving your hand at me so I'll know we, we've all got that person. Father, right now, reveal to our heart who you want us to reflect Your grace and your mercy and your care, too. Show us right now. Thank you, Lord. I got mine. Anybody? Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's right. You're really just letting God know, here I am. (laughs) Here I am, God. Here I am, God. I want to partner with you. I want to join with you caring for your world thank you You see them you know God loves them so very much so very much why don't you offer them up to God pray for them just in your own way just speak their name right now just speak their name out to God who loves them and cares for them Come, Holy Spirit, feel our prayers in our hearts. Give us passion, Lord, for your purpose. Go. Thanks for listening to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. You can learn more about us and access a video archive of our messages by visiting seacoastvineyard.com. If you feel led to support us financially through a one-time or recurring gift, please click on the Give tab at our website or download the PushPay app on your smartphone and search for Seacoast Vineyard Church.